Hello again, and welcome to Stories of the Stone Circles, the archaeology podcast all about Britain and Ireland during the time of Stone Circles, where we're going to talk about stone circles and other important archaeology from this period, and think about the people who were alive thousands of years ago. My name is Nick Overton, and I'm an archaeologist and member of Project Time. If you missed our first episodes, you can go back and listen to members of the team discussing what the project is about and some of the exciting things that are in store during the project. At the end of our last episode, I said this month's episode was going to be all about radiocarbon dating. But since then, the team have been able to get out into the real world. So, unable to contain our excitement, we recorded a new episode to share what we got up to. Project Time members Seren Griffiths and Ben Edwards joined the wonderful Martin Green, a farmer and archaeologist who has spent decades excavating incredible archaeology, including an astonishing number of amazing sites on his own farm, Down Farm, in Dorset. So, let's join Martin, Seren and Ben to hear how Martin became involved in archaeology, how his life as a farmer and an archaeologist intertwine, and of course, the all-important question of the best site biscuit. So, sit back, relax and enjoy hearing about some of the amazing archaeology Martin has worked on and the wonderful sounds of the spring bird song and the Dorset countryside in the background. And just a note, this was undertaken in accordance with COVID-19 restrictions and guidance that were in place at the time of recording. I guess the first thing to ask is, um, you farm in this amazing <laughs> landscape. What's hmm. what's what's it like being a farmer and an archaeologist at Down Farm? Well, it is the per- perfect combination, really. <laughs> um, so I feel I have been blessed um, and. Um, started looking for things as a boy you know in the played fields picking up stones and <laughs> sort of 50 plus years on I'm still doing it and getting as much um, pleasure from it as I always did really uh, yeah and um, yeah, so I mentioned the other day that it was this mains water pipe trench that led me into my sort of career in uh, excavation um, and um, yeah, that fortuitous discovery of a ditch whilst cutting the trench Sort of led to my first excavation and then just it snowballed after that really when you were excavating in the 70s and in the museum you've mm. got that life-size cut out of richard Bradley. <laughs> yeah that's right like how mm. did you get in mm. how did you sort of make contact because there's loads of really cool people yeah i mean it, again i i th- i've been blessed by a number of fortuitous happenings in many ways i feel and um, that was um, just when the pit rivers material became accessible again it was mouldering away at farnham which is a village only a few miles from here uh, and had been closed for well certainly over a decade and then at that time the material had, was being transferred from Farnham to Salisbury Museum and uh, Richard and uh, colleague John Barrett wanted to reassess the Pitt Rivers material and just sort of reassess Pitt Rivers himself actually and just see how good an excavator he was and, that, and having the material to go back to they were able to do that and they came to see me because they know I'd been doing field work in this area and uh, I was actually working on my first excavation at that point and uh, they said well you know you're doing good stuff and uh, why don't we join forces and work together on this sort of joint project and that, that's how it came about really yeah and is that the, the green cover with is it Bradley that's and right Barrison? yeah that's right yeah a trio as it were yes that's right and um, they wanted to look at 
pit some of Pit River's excavations, re-excavate them like South Lodge and Barrow Pleck and so forth. Um, middle Bronze Age sites, and I happened to be excavating a Middle Bronze Age site at that moment in time. So it was, like I say, very fortuitous, really. And um, yeah, that lasted in the field. I think what was this from something like 1977 to 1984, something like that. And then yeah, we eventually published uh, together some, some years later. Mm. And why the life-size cutout? Yeah, where, yeah, <laughs> where do you was, get um, a Richard Bradley yeah, cutout? I, I, the, the photograph I took myself of, <laughs> of, of Richard standing in the first section that he cut on the Dorset Curses, I think in 1982. So that was the photograph. And then Richard, I think he was celebrating something like 30 years at Reading University, and so they did a sort of day of lectures and, uh, and junketings. And um, <laughs> Mike Allen, um, my environmental archaeologist friend, said to me, oh, you know that photograph, Martin? I think I can get a blow-up <laughs> of Richard. And then wherever were, were the venueing throughout the university, he'll always be there to greet people as they <laughs> come in. So that's what he did. <laughs> and then... Uh, I said, oh, well, if, if, uh, if you haven't got a home for that, I'll take it on. He can be my custodian in the museum. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the acme yeah. of an archaeological career, isn't it? Yeah. You have a life-size <laughs> Of yourself, yeah. That's right, a bit like Madame Two Swords. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can keep your Wikipedia page about yourself, <laughs> can't you? <laughs> Absolutely right. right. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But yeah, no, it was great to be involved in such a great project, really, you know. And um, and then that that's how things have sort of worked out, really, uh, over the years. And then, uh, you know, I've worked with other people like Charlie French. We did quite a big, big yeah. tranche of work together. And I've just been blessed to work with some really good people, really, and really good projects. Mm. Yes. Mm. What a team. Yeah, you know. yeah. What a team. Mm, mm. And then more recently, you know, with, with Josh, you know, we were starting to put together a few things like the Knowlton one and the Dorset Cursus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully we might be able to do a bit more on the Cursus. We, we did some geophysics um, um, recently in my brother's field, just the other side of the fir trees. And we found quite a few anomalies in it, like entrance gaps, which we didn't know about. Um, and also there's a point where the Cursus is merrily coming along on the south side. Then it hits some sort of blob, whether it's a big pit or goodness knows what, and then it goes off at a slightly different alignment. So that was obviously a really significant feature. You've Could, got to dig that bit. Well, that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, whether it is an, a natural feature like my big shaft there, or whether it is a, a man-made feature, you know, we'll only tell with a bit of excavation, really. Mm. Mm. That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in that, what have they looked at there? I don't know, perhaps about 300 metres or something? And the whole thing's six and a quarter miles long. So, <laughs> yeah, makes you want... I mean, is that area anomalous? So are they got, I think we picked up at least three entrance gaps through it. Um, it or, or are there gaps like that all the way along it? We, yeah, we don't really certainly. know, really. Mm, mm. Yes, the geophysics of the whole thing. Mm, yeah, it would be great. Yeah, mm. I mean, this is just an amateur group. And the, the guy who does most of it works for the Ordnance Survey, so he's, he's a tech wizard, mm. which is great. <laughs> but he comes out with a couple of volunteers, you know, and does another, I don't know, 40 metres square in a day. And, and then... The, and in the evening, he sends you all the results. It's just magic. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it res or, or mag magnet? It's mag, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. 
but yeah, he's so good. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, his particular focus at the moment is on long barrows, and I've been getting him permission on various places around here, mostly plough degraded long barrows, just you know, comparing them, and he's been doing a, you know like a long barrow every time he goes out, which is fantastic. Yeah, mm. good to have a hobby. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Just and the University run this thing where some of their sort of surplus equipment they they will loan it out so it's actually the equipment w was part of Bournemouth universities which they've loaned out on this sort of scheme so amateur groups can use their their equipment and he he's just so good at it that he you know he borrows it whenever he can that's mm. really yeah that's good that's mm. a good scheme because mm. that's the thing that stops people from doing it is the cost of yeah that's right yeah. yeah and um you know he's just so good with the tech stuff comes back with all these sort of you know bird's eye views and contour surveys and you name it it's all there it's just magic it's not yeah. like good <laughs> aerial photographs in this part of the world work really well. oh they do like, yeah yeah and especially over the last decade or so when we've had quite a lot of drought conditions yeah mm. yeah like now i mean i reckon it would be quite good for aerial photography now because we've had a dry spring and the spring sown crops will be showing drought stress mm -hmm. and they'll be they'll be good yeah yeah mm, mm. That was a proper farm person chat there. Mm. The, the spring-grown crops will be growing <laughs> stress. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I, one of the uh, sometimes being a farmer and an archaeologist does have some benefits because um, there was um, I've seen one or two sort of quite good crop marks which most people would probably accept at face value but I've been a bit dubious about them because for various reasons like there was one I saw once a beautiful crop mark of a sort of rounded corner rectangle which looks just like one of these Neolithic long mortuary enclosures as they used to be called or oblong enclosures and and I think most people would have probably accepted that at face value but I thought well that's odd because it's a crop mark in a field which has no crop, it was stubble. And I thought, that's not right, you know. So I thought, well, I'll go and check it out on the ground. And uh, no, it was a spurious one. And the reason, what happened is, if, say, you're drilling a field of wheat or something, and then you've got to go off and drill a, a field of barley, you obviously you don't want to contaminate the field with the previous seed. So you have to clean out the drill, which is quite a tedious progress. And you've got to use a dustpan and brush basically to clean out all the seed that you don't want unless you've got a bit of waste grain you just pull in the drill put it in gear get rid of your excess seed and this guy somebody had gone into this field engaged the drill went round in a big old bomb, <laughs> went out there <laughs> and created this stunning crop <laughs> but i think most people without the farming knowledge would have just yeah. accepted that you know mm, and i've had a few like that yeah and there was one published in um uh, Dorset from the air that um, Dorset Council did of, of a sort of circular enclosure. That's not a circular. <laughs> and I found out afterwards by making a lot of inquiries, it's where they had a motorcycle grass track event. Because <laughs> 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 first of all, I thought, well, if it's an enclosure and it was obviously quite a big one, um, there's no entrance in it. <laughs> 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 Yeah, there are funny ones. And another time I had a group of wing ditches which looked look, look extensively like a blowed out barrow cemetery. 
Um, but again, there was something slightly anomalous about them, which made me think, these aren't quite right. And I went to investigate, and again, it was where a farmer had been using these sort of circular feeders. Yes. And, um, uh, and yeah, that was to do to that. And I had another one where he, he'd been spreading slurry on a sprinkler system. So it had made the grass nice and dark in a nice time <laughs> because he hadn't moved it soon enough. Yeah. And it got too much of a dose of uh, slurry. <laughs> I've seen the feeding trough thing before. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've come across that as well. Mm, mm. well. We did some nice geophysics, which had a, yeah. a series of round barrows, and some no. of them were real, but yeah. one of them definitely was no. a feeding trough. <laughs> because it, had, well, it was a water, it had yeah. a massive plastic, mm. massive plastic water trough oh, for yeah, the cattle, yeah. and they just <laughs> steadily compacted the ground. Yeah, there. They'd never yeah. got moved. Mm, yeah, really obviously. Mm, mm. What do you think is your favourite excavation that you've been involved in? Oh, yeah, that was my Moncton up Wimborne dig that um, I, I had a eureka moment I was looking through some photographs at the National Monuments record in Swindon and most of them were quite high level photographs and I was looking at little ring ditches and all the rest of it and suddenly I thought what the hell's that <laughs> and it was like a ring of dots with a blob in the middle and I thought God, blimey is this some kind of, sort of neolithic site T- tiny bit of me thought or oh, I hope it's not an ornamental tree planting from one of the previous Lord Shaftesbury's whose estate <laughs> it was on and I thought no I think that's fairly unlikely and I just thought this is some extraordinary sort of Neolithic ceremonial site and you Pop- knew when he said I just felt it was uh, yeah I just felt it was uh, that it had to be I don't know a pit circle a timber circle even possibly a stone circle because we do get sarsens around here um, and I thought yeah this is this is an amazing site and it, and it top my expectations actually not only was it a neolithic pit circle henge form but there was this whacking pit in the middle unprecedented it was 10 meters wide by about a meter and a half deep beautiful flat bottom they dug down to sort of like a joint in the chalk and then left it um and then for good measure there was a <laughs> whacking great shaft dug down one side of it seven meters deep and uh, and to top it all off, we had a multiple Neolithic burial, contemporary with the uh, the first phase flat bottom pit, um, with uh, four um, an adult female and three children in there. Yeah, quite extraordinary. Um, that must have been amazing. It was an amazing sight, absolutely astonishing sight. Yeah. And I'm mm. about to jinx us entirely, but <laughs> that's. Um, we've got a really nice series we hope of samples from. Yeah, we have. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> from the, right from the very bottom yeah. and, and up. Yes. So they all mm. won't date. There won't, <laughs> <be any laughs> there won't be a single one well, that works. The thing is, with, with the shaft in that, we did have a very good bone preservation. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we had yeah, good quality bone preservation. And that's the one mm. with the articulating... Uh, Pig at yeah, the at the bottom. That's right, the vertebrae. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. Yeah, yes. they, they were in really excellent condition. Yeah, yeah. but it was. Just, I mean, it was unprecedented, really. Way, I mean, people say you get Neolithic shafts, yeah. but apart from flint mines, which we all know about, you don't actually. The ones that have been claimed as Neolithic shafts, if you go back through the record, it seems as though yes, they have Neolithic material in them, but they're natural shafts, like my fir tree field shaft, and. Mm. Um, not man-made shafts other than flint mines as far as I can find anyway in the literature so we had a shaft seven meters deep we got this unprecedented flat bottom pit you know sort of I think it was about ten and a half meters wide by a meter and a half deep extraordinary thing and then a pit circle around the edge as well you know it's just 
that, that's why with this Vince Gaffney's project, you know, with uh, these amazing, what appears to be amazing pit circle at Darrington Wars, absolutely astonishing scale. Mm. Um, they're, they're coming to me because I've got the only remote parallel. And mine was 35 metres in diameter. In one of their pits is 20 metres in diameter. <laughs> your, your, your shaft... Mm. Well, I'd like to see those. I'd like, mm. yeah, it would be very interesting to see that project develop. Yeah. Your shaft, mm. like, I was just thinking about you saying it's seven metres deep, and that, like, mm. throws up all kinds of mm. logistical stuff. About, mm. How'd you get in and out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. With difficulty, we did have a ladder and so forth. You'd have to. You'd have to have some kind yeah, of scaffolding. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, or absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They must have had platforms and so forth. Or yeah. are you going in and out on ropes and mm. hoping somebody will haul you up? Yeah. yeah. Rope ladders? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they put wooden ladders and, uh, yeah, ropes and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That other thing to do, isn't mm, it? It was, yeah, and that was the sort of secondary phase. I mean, the flat bottom pit was first, that was the earliest phase, and then there was the burial, and then they dug the shaft not that long afterwards, and then created a ramp of rubble, which seemed to be an access point into the uh, flat bottom pit, possibly, I thought, to do uh, ceremonies around the shaft itself, because we had a sequence of deposits mm. with uh, special objects in them and a scatter of animal bone along the back of this sort of ramp or platform as we call it um, where it looked as though feasting had been going on because quite a lot of the animal bone was partly burnt so you know, it's been on the barbecue yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that is that is an amazing site. Mm, cheers. It was, and it's all part of quite a, quite a complex there, really. There are smaller hengiforms and things there as well. Yeah, so. You're talking about the degree of compaction in mm. flint, uh, mm. chalk, sorry. Mm. Was that, would that be like mm. rock cuts, the Wimborne shaft? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was, um, it, they'd gone through the um, sort of cryotubated chalk in the sort of top metre and a half, and then there was a joint, a natural joint in the chalk, and that's where they stopped at that point before they dug the shaft. And it, and um, it it had a lovely sort of smooth finish to it, and it's it felt to me as though people had been in there, you know, dancing or goodness knows what, and sort of um, really polished this this yeah. joint. No, it's quite amazing. Yeah. Um, and then they dug through it, and when they dug through, they were in a different zone in the chalk, and there was big lumps of chalk coming up um, from that, really chunky blocks. And that gave me some of the um, sequencing because we found big lumps of chalk, a few bits, in the outer pit, pit circle, right at the bottom. So that was obviously contemporary, the outer pit circle, with the, with the sh digging of the shaft. Um, and um, the, like I say, the flat bottom pit was, was the primary feature, feature there. And so, yeah, they, they definitely gone on down through much, much bigger, blockier chalk. Mm. So yeah. that would mean the, the pits had to be open when the mm. shaft was being dug? Yeah, uh, yeah, the, um, well, yeah, yeah, they were doing it contemporarily, yeah. as far mm. as we can tell. Yeah, 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 that they were digging the pit circle when they were digging the shaft. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it, it, was, it was an amazing sight. Mm. Yeah. How long did you work on that? Um, it was just one season because it wasn't on my own farm. <laughs> I, I, I had to get on with it. <laughs> and we, I think it took us about 
eight or nine months, something like that. Oh, um, that's quite a yeah. yeah a it is, season, but I mean, the people I have working with me, this is just a, a skeleton crew <laughs> of about three sort of diehards, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did. I did actually hire some Bournemouth students to help me do the cleaning down after we stripped off the fifty meter square with a machine, because you always need to clear up, you know, yeah. afterwards and. Uh, um, Josh and I always have an argument about brushing on chalk because I think brushing is great and uh, if, if you do it in dry conditions yeah, yeah, yeah. and you really clean down the surface you get a bit of rain afterwards and everything shows up pristine steak holes like this you yeah. know yeah. fantastic Josh always said no you know, brushes bloody brushes are a nightmare <laughs> said no you get the right conditions they're bloody good brushes <laughs> I have exactly the same argument oh, do you? Roger Mike it oh, do you? yeah that's on sand that's sand and oh, gravel yeah. <laughs> I turn around and said, what are you doing, Roger? And yeah. he'd, he'd just be, I'd be stuck mid-brush, hoping I wouldn't notice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I also have a thing about forks as well with people. I hate mattocks. I think mattocks are horrible things. I think, yes, if you've got a bit of, I don't know, Victorian rubble to dig through, yes, by all means, use a mattock. But generally, I think they're appalling tools. You smash everything up. They're horrible. Whereas a garden fork can be quite a delicate instrument. It can, you can dig out a wadge of soil this deep if you want to. But <laughs> And I always had... I, I am starting to get a few converts, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never tried that. Mike Parker Pearson's now coming round to the garden fork. <laughs> If you're, if you're using a mattock to, mm, as you say, mm, hoy out a yeah. of stuff. If yeah, if you've got yeah a lot of yeah, if you just want to get, uh, but I mean, ostensibly they just smash everything with a with a garden fork. You can dig out a whacking great lump of soil, and chances are you aren't going to damage things. You may do, you may stick a prong through a yeah, skull yeah, yeah. or something, but largely you stand a much better chance of of, of, of surviving. What are your um, thoughts on onion hose? Uh, yeah, in the right conditions, they're okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I like, mm. I like them as well. Yeah, yeah. Big yeah. I mean, you can use them on chalk. I mean, I've never done it because I tend to use use a fork just to do a tiny, what I call a tickle afterwards. You know, you just take a tiny little skim off and then brush it. But uh, an onion hoe would do the same job, yeah. really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I, I dare say they're very good on sand, which I don't really yeah, have much or, much yeah. experience on. They are rather good on sand. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 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 But I can understand not using a brush on sand, but not mm. not on chalk when it's good chalk. Mm. Well, especially if it's dry. Yeah, it's that's wet, right. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. What's the What's your favourite mm. artefacts or eco fact then? Well, the the most beautiful thing I've ever found is a polished flint knife, which I found in Yorkshire many years ago as a teenager. Um, it's a rectangular piece. I suppose it's about four inches long by about three inches wide. Astonishing piece of work, polished to about three sixteenths of an inch thick. Oh, that was the one in the museum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just um, just an astonishing piece of work, and I, I love flint. I, yeah. I mean, I am a napper. I wouldn't call myself an expert napper by any means. There are some people who who are undoubtedly, but I'm not one of them. But I know enough about napping to know when something's really skilled piece of work. Yeah, and that is just astonishing. Yeah. Is that almost had a kind of like translucent yeah, quality to absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, you hold it up to the light and there is a translucency to it. Yeah. Mm. But they're extraordinary thing. I mean they're called rectangular knives just so that we archaeologists know what we're talking about, but I mean Clearly, they weren't cutting tools in any way at all. No, you wouldn't. No, they're no. quite blunt, actually, and in average, flint flake were cut more effectively. Mm. But, uh, yeah, 
goodness knows what they use them for. Well, mm. yeah. well, there's a even if it was like a sort of expression of somebody's skill. Yeah, you know? indeed. Yeah. Like an apprentice piece. Sort yeah. of. Yeah. Although, in, in a way, it's strange because it's the sort of thing that's not showy in a way. I mean, to somebody who knows about Flint and how it's worked, etc., you mm. think, oh, my God. <laughs> but to someone who, who doesn't know, you, you know, you just pass it by. And, and I know in my museum, hardly anyone ever mentions it. You know, they just... It, it looks fairly dull and uninteresting, really. But you know, when you realise what it was and, and the work that's gone into producing it, it's, it's yeah. astonishing. Yeah, I like those, um, you know, Bronze Age um, mm. flaked knives. Oh yeah. Daggers. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like, but they are, you know, they look fantastic, don't they? I mean, even to the untutored eye, they look yeah. you know, fantastic. But those those polished knives, to the untutored eye, just look, you know. Un, unimpressive. I remember having a lecture mm. about Paleolithic hand axes in, mm. uh, in undergraduate and somebody saying that mm. symmetry is show symbolic mm. complicated thought mm. so it kind of separates us from the animals and I'm not sure about that mm. but, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. but yeah. The, those daggers have that same mm. they're obviously anthropogenic aren't they yeah. whereas your mm. square mm. knife is a bit mm. more mm. subtle yeah showy, that's right you know? yeah. Yeah. a bit more abstract yeah, isn't it? yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they, they were, I and mean, sometimes you do get those occasional hand axes, don't you, where they've napped it round a fossil or something, and uh, uh, yes. yeah, they're yeah, quite right. amazing. And your collection of flint with the holes in it. Mm. We're now going to rejoin Martin, Seren and Ben as they walk around one of the henges at Down Farm, which Martin has excavated and since reconstructed. Picture in your mind a roughly circular enclosure, about 12 metres in diameter, with a single entrance. The central space is surrounded first by a ditch, made up of a series of interconnecting pits, and then an external bank. Let's go to Martin, Seren and Ben, who begin by discussing the size of the bank surrounding this monument. We tried to estimate, we did a sort of volumetric analysis, and, and that, that is, is about as good as we think we could get it. Yeah, yeah. So it wouldn't have been uh, much of a barrier. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because mm. you do hear a lot about people talking about hinges designed to block people's views. Mm, that works yeah. for the big ones, mm, but yeah, sure. That's this not what this no, is about. No, no, that's right. Well, unless those, mm. I hate to get all. Ritual symbol mm. ceremony, on it. Yeah. but unless it is a, a threshold, it yeah, is a yeah. metaphorical division. Yeah, that's right. I, oh, uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I always like to think of the, um, you know, the analogy with a, with a church. You've got the altar, and that's usually protected by a sort of low rope barrier, isn't it? But yeah. we all know we could step across it if we felt yeah. like it. But it's just a sort of like a symbolic barrier, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Really, that's what I always think about these yeah. things. Yeah. Did you when you were growing up here? Did you always sort of know that there was archaeology on the land? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, um, we had a, um, um, good scale ordnance survey maps uh, which showed the Cursus and the Barrows in this uh, area. My dad had a sort of general interest. He, he picked up the old flint and fossil on the farm, and those things just inspired me as a boy, really, and I sort of took off from there, really. And because obviously you can, this bit is dominated by barrows, mm. did you? Mm. You know, know that those were 
really old? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad used to talk about the Neolithic settlement on Gussie's Dam. Well, mm. he didn't know that it was Iron Age particularly, but, uh, you know, it, it was an ancient settlement. So we were aware of, of, of the monuments yeah. surrounding us, really. Yeah. Mm. When did you start to dig? What sort of motivated uh, that? that? Was, um, on my own, I, I started in 1976, and that was entirely due to a chance discovery. Because of the great drought that year, we had mains water installed, and so a pipe trench was dug right across the farm for well, over a kilometre, and I wandered along the trench. And at one point, I saw this ditch had been cut, and I, that's I just thought, oh, I'd like to know more about this, and that's how I sort of got involved in my own digs. I mean, I had in my teens and so forth had been on you know official ministry digs and so forth, so I knew the basics of how to do it. Although I'd had no plans in doing it myself until that chance discovery, really. What was it? It was a, a Middle Bronze Age enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> Full of rain hazes and so forth. <laughs> yeah. What was your first dig, Beth? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, just turned up in that pipe trend. It was just a yeah, fortuitous discovery, really. Because uh, I often think, because it just clipped the terminal, really, it was only the last couple of metres of the ditch. If it had gone that side, you know, I would have yeah, never yeah, yeah, got yeah. it, and who knows, life could have been different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's amazing, and I, I, I think it's amazing that you've reconstructed it in the way that you have. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's nice. I, I used to bring visitors around and, and sort of used to say, oh yeah, I excavated this or that there and tried to describe it and there was nothing for them to see, you know, and so I thought it'd be nice to reconstruct some of these sites and that's what, I, what I've done in the fir, fir tree field does act as a kind of visitor trail when people come here, they spend an hour in the museum or something and then, then they wander around fir, fir tree field and I show them the shaft and the palm barrow and the, the, the bowl barrow and so it makes a nice little... Um, uh, yeah. yeah, sort of trip really. Yeah, and if people have got the energy and they want to spend a day here, well then I wander up. We go up onto the uh, across the curses onto Gussie's Down, go along the top, and come down the Roman Road, the Ackling Dyke, which follows the line of the trees there. So do a big loop, you know. So it all, all works very nicely. Yes. Actually. Yeah. So you start at the Mesolithic and come back along the Romans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, the landscape museum, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. Wouldn't it be interesting, because you were saying about doing the environmental stewardship kind of schemes mm, and things, mm. wouldn't it be interesting if you could get heritage stewardship? Because mm, yeah, that's effectively yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. You yeah. can, can't you? I think can you, you can. Um, um, well, I don't know what they call it now, mm. but it was a uh, higher level stewardship, uh -huh, mm. uh -huh. had a heritage component, because uh -huh. I used to have to get derogation consent. From the um, oh, right. yeah. what do you call it? Natural England, Natural England yeah. because yeah. the land was under high-level yeah. stewardship. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. But this is all natural regeneration, you see. So, so it shows how things will, will, will come back with veg uh, vegetation. And uh, yeah, but it's like you were saying about chalk being softer mm. with bioturbation. Mm. Yeah. If, if they're actually before they construct these monuments, if you know you, you've actually got deforestation, mm. felling. The soil would be softer then, mm. because it would have had actually much more intense yeah, vegetation I mean, on it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we, when, we, when we get there, obviously we find tree holes and so forth. I mean, they're, they're not a huge, I mean, they're sort of like a scattered distribution. I don't think it would have ever have been particularly densely forested. No, 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 not, no. no not, not the right mm. soil. No, no. How deep is your topsoil generally? Well, generally, it's about a foot uh -huh. here, yeah. I mean, obviously, as you drip, drop, drop down into the valley, it increases a bit. 
Uh, you've got sort of valley gravel and so forth. But yeah, on the downland sides, yeah, it's a, it's a foot and that's it. It's mm. not a lot, is it? No, no, that's right. That's why this, this sort of landscape was largely um, sheep grazing up until, well, the mid-19th century, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our dog seems to have adopted you. Oh, well done. She's <laughs> <laughs> really You soft. finding a bit of shade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's been stuck in the car for the last two days, really, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we've got a sort of, well, there's a part of the field in the, in the valley floor there where we um, basically don't do much to at all, and that's sort of rewilding, really, and um, it's been very good for certain birds. We get um, short-eared owls over oh, wintering. Wow! Yeah, so yeah it's yeah. Uh, quite amazing. Um, in fact, um, a chap who helped me with my schemes, who, who worked for Natural England, has actually become the other tenant in my cottage there because <laughs> he's he's uh, recently got together with his partner and they want to buy somewhere together and this is a sort of stopgap while they look round to buy somewhere together yeah. so but he's building up this fantastic bird list on the farm yeah, he's only been here since november and he's got a list of 109 species so far which is quite amazing that sounds, uh, that sounds i'm not an ornithologist but that sounds incredibly diverse yeah it, it is a lot he is amazing he is um, his field craft is amazing i mean he's shown me things that i didn't even know i had here you know take me out at night and show me um, wading birds that come in we we're, that that valley there does flood uh, seasonally not every year but most years it does and so you know you get species that will come in um, mm. and uh, yeah fantastic it shows what you can do if you move away from a monoculture doesn't mm. it it you're, does you, and it does, you do yeah. rewilding like you're doing yeah absolutely yeah it doesn't you know it's not rocket science you don't have to do a, a great deal in, in some cases and it will you know it will heal itself and you get amazing sort of diversity coming back mm. and mm. you didn't plant any of this no all no this is all um, self-seeded yeah. Amazing. Mm. It's great, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Reminds me of the Millfield North reconstruction up where we dig in the Millfield oh, yeah. Basin. Yeah. yeah. I was just saying while you you were over there, it's, it feels like a very human scale of monument mm, this compared yeah, to does. those. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Frankly, showy. Mm. Ones yeah. like Avebury. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that pretentious monument. That's right, yeah, exactly. A bit cliche, isn't yeah. it, that sort of thing? That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think these little ones were serving sort of much more local communities, yeah. you know, yeah. Mm. Mm. I think so too. Yeah. Listen to see. Mm differences between them if you get your right. fabulous new yeah, dates well, and what have you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I think mm. as well as the, like, serving different communities and different needs, it's mm. quite interesting. Mm. I mean, I get into trouble with Ben and other collaborators because I talk about wizard queens who <laughs> proselytise <laughs> yeah. these new religions and things. Yeah. But if you think about, <laughs> like, even given indications of mobility and mm. Mike Pogfisson's suggestions that you know people are coming from Orkney to yeah, whether yeah. you believe that or not, mm, um, mm. you know um, the Amesbury Archer mm. certainly did travel quite a long way, and the idea mm. that these types of monuments get mm. spread across mm. Britain. Mm. is still to me mind-boggling. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. you get regional mm. flavours and. Yeah. Um, mm liturgical differences across them mm, but yeah, yeah. they still got pretty much everywhere yeah, and yeah. so there must have been some kind of governing idea behind mm, all of that mm, 
Mm. I'm not allowed to call it religion, but mm. yeah, yeah. Um, you mm. know. Mm. Sure. And yeah. that without automated transport or writing or mm. whatever, mm. it's going to take some pretty charismatic people to yeah, yeah, persuade you indeed. to do that. Yeah, yeah. We had a group, group eight stone apps from the terminal pit over uh-huh. there. Yeah, yeah, which is you know the um, Pembrokeshire area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. I think that's interesting as well because mm. um, you know we don't really have like. Maybe we understand the start of use of those polished stone axes, mm. but we don't really understand the end of no. that mm. in mm. A, a way, because mm. you know they're mm. still being deposited in mm. much later features. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, so mm. serious mm. question now, mm. most important question. <laughs> On her site, what is the archaeological biscuit of choice? Uh, well, probably ginger nuts, I think, yeah. yeah. Good call. Very good. Stand up to a good dunking without getting yeah. too soft. That's right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. Many thanks to Martin Green for taking the time to talk to Project Time and allowing us to include some of the amazing sites on Down Farm in our project. If you would like to read more about the sites of Moncton at Wimborne, Wyke Down and Fir Tree Field, which Martin mentions in the podcast, head over to our website www.project-time.blog and go to the sites page. Next month, we will be back to normal scheduling with an episode all about radiocarbon dating. That is, unless we get another exciting opportunity to escape the office and get back out into the field. To make sure you don't miss that or any other episode, you can subscribe to Stories of the Stone Circles on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher and CastBox. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>